0: it's friday june 13th 2014 from slate it's the gist i'm mike pesca so when a flag day falls on a weekend as it will tomorrow it is observed on a friday but really it's almost never observed at all how did flag day start you probably didn't ask well there are a few people who claim to have started flag day but the most recognized claim according to the veterans group that i consulted comes from new york city a professor named George Bulch, who was the principal of a free kindergarten for the poor of New York City, de Blasio would have loved this guy, on June 14th, 1889, he had his kindergarten engage in patriotic ceremonies, and he might be, in fact, the father of Flag Day. There are others who claim to be the father or mothers of Flag Day. Another claim comes from Philadelphia, the Society of Colonial Dames. I love that. A. Hey. When you see a flag, who's left holding a bag? Yeah, dames. So these dames maybe wanted to get a flag day going. A few others said flag day. Now, June 14th, flag day. And it wasn't actually made into law until the 1940s. But I want to tell you about another holiday that fell into disfavor that is flag related. So it's vexalalalish, or it's vexalalajish. I guess you could call it evacuation day. Who was doing the evacuating? The Brits, of course. The date was November 25th, 1783. The last British troops left Manhattan and then General George Washington marched his troops to lower Manhattan. Triumph. But no, there was a flag atop a pole that a departing redcoat had nailed there. And, oh, these wily redcoats, he greased the pole. For a day, people tried to climb up the pole and get that Union Jack down, and it didn't work. Until an Army veteran, John Van Ardsdale, using wooden cleats, nails, a ladder, (laughs) went up the pole, and he put the American flag up. And thereafter, for about a century, the day was marked... And the big activity was patriotic schoolboys engaged in bouts of climbing greased poles. Climb the greased pole of liberty, lads! The cry would ring out from hamlet to hollow. But notice the date, November 25th. Evacuation day overlapped with Thanksgiving, and it fell into disfavor. The greased pole industry took a big hit. It went to decline until... It was later reinvented and rehabbed in another venue. And the name of the first strip club owner to have a stripper pole was Grover Van Ardsdale, the great-great-grandson of John Van Ardsdale. That is not true. I invented all that up. But still, now you know the rest of the story. Everything else is true. So happy Flag Day, but if you really love this country, you'll grease a pole and scale it for liberty. On the show today, lover of language Ben Yagoda will be on to talk about some quirks of speech, I will spiel about dead doves and crayfish, and we'll give out our Star of the Anten Twig Award. But first, everything's bigger in Texas, including the mandated length of firearm that a citizen is allowed to carry in public. Open carry laws allow for gun owners to do just that, to carry their weapons openly. Some gun owners have exercised this right Quite aggressively, a few weeks ago, when a rifle toting open carry advocate entered a Chipotle in Texas that went viral on social media, and it actually led to a rebuke from the NRA, which said of the open carriers, quote, a small number have recently crossed the line from enthusiasm to downright foolishness. The NRA has since backed off that statement. Open Carry Texas, the largest such organization in the state, which boasts 18,000 members, has not backed off its stance. Joining me now is C.J. Grisham, the president and founder of Open Carry Texas. Thanks for coming on, C.J.
1: Hi, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Can you just set the stage by telling us what the law is in Texas because almost every state, there are, I think, five states that don't allow open carry. South Carolina and Texas are the only conservative states that don't. Um, California doesn't. New York doesn't. D.C. doesn't. So, what is allowed and what isn't allowed in terms of open carry in your state?
1: The laws here in Texas, we're, we're what's called a non traditional open carry state. Um, we have, it is legal to open carry long arms like rifles and shotguns. Uh, We are also allowed to open carry what are called black powder revolvers or ball and cap revolvers. And these are pre-1899 replica revolvers, and they use black powder in the balls instead of a cartridge like modern handguns. Mm -hmm. However, you cannot open carry at all a modern handgun. And the only way that you can carry a handgun is with the permission of the state and a licensing scheme.
0: So these laws were probably written to ban gunfighting, right, in the Old West.
1: A lot of our laws are part of the Reconstructionist period in the Jim Crow era. And it wasn't until 20 years ago, in 1995, that we even got the privilege of being able to exercise a right concealed. And so here we are 20 years later, and really not much has changed with regard to our gun laws, and we're trying to fix that.
0: Right. So why do you think that the best way to do that is to be really ostentatious in, uh, how you carry the guns that you're allowed to carry, and things like going into businesses.
1: Well, first of all, we don't go into businesses anymore. We haven't done that for quite some time. The images that are being posted about our group are months old, and in some cases from last year. For example, the Target thing is from last year.
0: You went into a Target store... And there was uh, pictures taken, but it, once you are informed that Target might lose its liquor license if you do that, you work with Target, and since January you haven't been going in there. Am I getting that about right?
1: That's correct. Yes, we okay. we were unaware of uh, of the fact that we were jeopardizing their licenses, and we completely believe in private business property rights, and we always respect those. But you know, I, I, I kind of reject the notion that what we're doing is um, in, in any way inflammatory or uh, threatening because What's not being told out there is every restaurant that we've gone into, or every business that we've gone into, we've gotten permission prior to doing that, mm-hmm. and and we go in there, we send somebody in unarmed, we explain to both the customers and and the uh, management. Once they say it's okay, you know, hey, look, we've got ten, twelve, five, whatever the number is, people, they're they're, you know, we just got done with a rally, we've got rifles and shotguns. Is it okay? If we come in here, we're not a threat to anybody. And we come in. We smile. We, you know, a lot of the customers take pictures with us. Um, we we engage in a great conversation and a dialogue about open carry, and we're just trying to counter the narrative that. Uh, you know these guns are somehow something that people need to be afraid of when they're really not.
0: Right. So I didn't say I didn't say threatening and I didn't say inflammatory. And certainly those thoughts are out there. I did say ostentatious, which is you're there not you you're yeah. not just doing it as part of hey this is uh this is what I'm doing on a Sunday as I do my errands. You're really making the point that we are carrying guns into the store at, or the business or wherever. So why do you think that's important to make the point and for people to see you making that point?
1: Well, there's. A lot of the reasons why we even published photos is to uh, recognize gun-friendly, uh, we call them gun-friendly zones. So it wasn't just to say, hey, look at me, I've got a gun, and here I am at, at Chipotle or wherever it is. It's, it's more of an effort to highlight that particular business as gun-friendly. The last thing is, and this is also what's not being told, is if you're an 18- to 20-year-old adult in Texas, you do not have the right to carry a handgun concealed or open. So your only means of self-defense is a rifle or a shotgun. And we see that in Chipotle. Both of those individuals that were at the Chipotle,
2: Mm
0: -hmm.
1: they were both 20 years old. And so the only option they had for defending themselves is with a rifle. Either they go around without a gun and risk being victimized, or they walk around with what they're legally allowed to walk around with, which is a rifle.
0: Right. I just have to say, the only way they have to defend themselves. In a Chipotle, what, someone going to attack you with a burrito?
1: Um, come on. I mean, let's seriously, who's going to attack someone with a burrito? I don't think, but, but, but are we I'm saying that Chipotle though. is not susceptible to criminal activity? Is Somebody coming in and robbing a Chipotle. All you got to do is do a, a Google search and you can see that Chipotles get robbed. All right.
0: Do you see a difference in big chain businesses allowing you in versus smaller local businesses allowing you in?
1: The the difference with the chain restaurants is even though the local management and the local franchise owners may allow us in, their corporate offices are susceptible to these national campaigns from people that don't even live in our state, have probably never been in our state, probably don't even like our state. And they create these national campaigns that are funded by Bloomberg out of New York and Indiana, where Moms Demand Action is based, and they create a controversy where there is none.
0: Do you see, in a weird way, a sort of um, kinship with maybe really left-wing groups that vocally protest or support their rights? I was thinking of, I don't know, do you know what a slut walk
1: is? I have no idea. Okay. I've so, never heard of that.
0: All right. So this, good. This It's a moment of uh, education. So <laughs> a, I'll read it from Wikipedia. Slut Walk is a transnational movement of protest marches, which began in Toronto when some a woman was, I think, raped or sexually assaulted. And the local police said she shouldn't dress like a slut. So there are these walks where all these women show up and they have protest signs. And some of them, you know, wear revealing attire so as to make the point, I can dress like whatever I want. This is my right. They kind of put it in people's face to show what their rights should be. And I kind of saw an analogy there. So you don't don't know what a slot walk is. But do you see you uh, in this long line of even very liberal protesters who are supporting, say, their rights of free speech?
1: I think the First Amendment is something that all Americans, regardless of your political persuasion, um, cherish. This idea of putting something in, in people's faces I don't agree with, because if I don't want to watch a so-called slut march or whatever, I think that's what you called it. Slut walk, yeah. If I don't want to see one of those, then I just won't watch. I'll right, just go somewhere right, else. Right. Uh, if, I, I don't even think, you know, there was, there's been a lot of conservatives that complain about the gay rights movement shoving their homosexuality in people's faces. I don't, I don't see that. If I don't want to go to a gay pride parade, I just don't go to a gay pride parade. It's the same thing with firearms. We're not shoving firearms in anyone's faces. If they don't, if they don't feel comfortable seeing a firearm in public, then turn around. But, but what there if I'm are eating, firearms but like, all around us that we don't see, and I'd prefer right. to know who has a firearm as opposed to who doesn't so I can gauge intent.
0: But well, what if I'm eating at a Chipotle and uh, the owner said, yeah, you could come in, but I don't want to see that?
1: Oh, a customer. Well, like I said, we talk to the customers first, and if anyone's uncomfortable with it, we won't go into the restaurant.
0: All right. C.J. Grisham is the founder of Open Carry Texas. Thank you, C.J.
1: Thank you, sir. Appreciate the opportunity.
0: Ben Yagoda teaches journalism and is a wordsmith, and now he's come out with, you need to read this, the death of the imperative mode, the rise of the American glottal stop, the bizarre popularity of amongst and other cuckoo things that have happened to the English language. Hello, Ben. Mike, hello. Cuckoo crazy. Amongst. I like amongst, and I like whilst, and I think it gives me a false sense of formality. But why is amongst amongst the most annoying words to you?
2: Well, you know, I, I hate to admit it because I'm supposed to be a wordsmith, as you said, and not annoyed and just the kind of scientist above it all. Yeah. But actually, that's one that does annoy me. <laughs> I have to admit, you you sense that. It's just too extra needless words letters. Yeah. It's a kind of old English sounding word. We had this actually excellent word among yeah. that worked perfectly well. And then all of a sudden people are starting to talk like Wordsworth. It's something I don't understand. It baffles me.
0: I mean, I use it as a joke and I would hope that most people would use it in the same way that they would grow a handlebar mustache, sort of <laughs> a comment on a frou formality. I guess
2: the danger is that if and when that initial impulse gets forgotten and people think that that's normal. Yeah. Which is the case now, um among students, uh amongst I would say is more popular than among, and they don't have any irony or anything like that in mind. That's just what they think sounds good. To me, it's the it it
0: it's of uh, a kin it has a kinship with it's of the ilk of often, hitting the T and often. Exactly. Which is doing something wrong to show that you really know how to do it right, but you're doing it wrong. I, I think I don't
2: I think you give those people who do it too much credit yeah. I, my theory is that it's to be talking for a longer amount of time Yeah. so often and in fact more popular than off 10 is often times, which means nothing different from often, just takes a lot longer to say.
0: A lot of phrases with time take up too much time, like period of time. You can just kill the time. <laughs> well, John, John, and we're
2: killing time. John Dean, uh, this point in time, that yeah. was his famous contribution in Watergate. Uh, but it, it's, you know, I've done a lot about uh, English expressions or even pseudo English expressions mm-hmm. that have become common in America. Amongst being one, another weird one that I think I write about in the book is the spelling of advisor. There's a traditional word, advisor, A-D-V-I-S-E-R. The New York Times still does it that way. The New Yorker does it that way. Everybody else, my Merrill Lynch account on um, my university is O-R.
0: Yeah. Why? It sounds fancier most or professions i think are of a higher caliber except maybe sailor but mayor certainly is doctor yeah
2: and the other one is the spelling of gray yes gray versus grey if you look at a google n ngram grey is way way ahead and I wrote about this once, and people responded to me and said, well, no, those are different colors. What? The EY <laughs> is a smoother, silverer kind of thing. And I think that's totally uh, right. in, in their minds. But EY is way, way over AY at this point.
0: Yeah. Gray is the overcast sky in London. G-R-E-Y, it's G-R-A-Y if it's an overcast sky in Albany. Exactly. So how – what is the best – way to make peace with the fact that you know all these rules of language and grammar but don't want to be a scold and don't want to have it overwhelm you. I mean I try not to correct people. I get things wrong all the time and yet I have children and I'm going to correct them and help them. You know but some things just hit my ear as oh yeah people say disinterested when they mean uninterested. But another is the fewer with countable terms Mm. instead of less. You know, we have, well, there's less tomatoes for sale. And it just, I'm not going to say it drives me crazy, but it always smacks me just as much as if you had said ain't or something that everyone knows is horrible grammar. But what do you do? What do you do with that information? What's the best way to process it and still be a respected member of society? Uh, Well, uh, I have a rule
2: that Correcting someone is always wrong, unless it's your child, your student, or your employee, that that's pretty much it. Otherwise, uh, judge them, (laughs) judge them silently make that judgment that that's the kind of person who says disinterested in whatever that means to you, yeah. but not out loud. That was, and, and of course, in your own practice, that's where you are free to express yourself in, in any way as precisely, as correctly, in the way you think is right. And that, that I guess, is the best revenge to, to write your, and express yourself the way you want to and the way you feel is right and best.
0: Where does the flexceptivist come down on nonplussed? Which should mean, think about the word, non, nah, not, plus, or minus. <laughs> so, like, taken aback or bewildered. That's what it should mean. Right. But and, people think it means unfaith
2: And you can trace the sort of introduction of that. And, well, well certainly, arithmetically, uh, you can choose the numbers. So, if almost everyone uses decimate to mean get rid of rather than get rid of one tenth. Yes, you know that—that's there. It's done. It's, give up the ghost. Give man. up the ghost. Yes. Uh, non It's probably in that thirty to forty percent using it that so-called wrong way. Yeah.
0: So don't. All right. So some of your best stuff comes from the same place that Bill James' best stuff comes from, asking a question, why is this so? Things that you noticed. So maybe you could talk about not maybe even a word, but a cadence or the way people talk that you have noticed that you put in the book.
2: Well, the one that's kind of closest to my heart is, it's in the subtitle, is glottal stop. American glottal stop. Now, glottal stop traditionally is associated with like a Dick Van Dyke Cockney sort of thing, a little bit of luck, and And the Beatles spoke that way. Again, my students, which along with my children, are really the best uh, laboratory for me. I, eight or ten years ago, started hearing them use that glottal stop, especially women. So important, button, something associated with people in the east of London. And this was in Delaware and kids from New Jersey. It turned out that there had been some writing about it in the literature. It's a youth thing associated with certain geographical pockets and oddly very prominent in hip-hop. Uh-huh. So there's an African-American thing going in there. A lot of these kids were listening to hip-hop. I was uh, keyed to a salt and pepa track from about 15 years ago. You me. You let me know something. It's something that's to me, kind of makes life worth living if these New Jersey kids are using glottal stop.
0: Oh, no, you didn't.
2: <laughs> there you go. And, uh, yeah, that was a big part of it. The, the whole call and response on, was it Montel and Oprah? Oh, no, you didn't.
0: No, you uh, didn't.
2: It's, it's great.
0: I think the time is nigh to shame those who use not so much. It's just not that clever. You think it's clever. You think it's youth speak. Not so not much. Not so much. You know,
2: it's, it's one of these things that um, I remember I was shamed. And I was shamed by an editor at Slate. I, I included it in my piece, I, a piece I wrote. I thought it was clever. Yeah. Uh, and he said, we've banned not so much. And this was about three years ago. So, you know, the, these, um, there's a half-life or a shelf-life yeah. of, these, of these catchphrases that, you know, the person who invented it, is lost to, to the ages now. Yeah. You know, they're living in unknown glory. Uh, it, it caught on because it has all those elements that, that, that you thought. And for a p- glorious period of about maybe two to three months, it, it was kind of cool and fresh and clever to say it. Yeah. Then it dropped off until finally uh, not so much. And, and now it's just, it's so over.
0: Yeah. It, also in that category... Anywho, (laughs) anyway, for the win. That's a great interval you got there. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Ben Yagoda is the author of You Need to Read This. We could just let the title stand as a call to action. Ben, thanks, thanks very much. Thanks so much, Mike. And now the spiel. World Cup opened yesterday. Brazil beats Croatia by two. Number of living doves also down by two. Dig, if you will, this picture. Dig, if you will, the picture. Of three cute Brazilian kids. They're each holding winged symbols of peace. At the same time, the three doves are released. Two of the doves fly directly into the stadium stands. Journalists take to Twitter to report two doves down. In the service of sporting spectacle, that's nothing new. The opening of the 1988 Seoul Olympics was basically an avian holocaust, as previously released doves perched in the highest spot in the stadium, which happened to be the cauldron, the as-yet-unlit cauldron, So these athletes, carrying their torches, are ascending this elevator thing on the bottom of the cauldron. Picture like a reverse New Year's Eve ball drop, but the the torchbearers are rising, rising, rising. And the birds are just sitting there. And the torchbearers are rising ever so slowly. This is like a Hitchcock movie. Oh God, the birds aren't moving. No one is shooing away the birds. Shooing isn't part of the Olympic Charter. And then flames and then the fire and the burning and all the jokes about the Korean barbecue.
1: This is what it sounds like.
0: But doves aren't the only animals feeling the pain. No, crayfish, also known as crawfish, also known as crawdads, can experience anxiety. French researchers, yes, existential angst plus disgusting-seeming but actually delectable seafood, and you get French researchers, found a way to make crayfish seem nervous and anxious. Had to do with light and some electroshocks. It was the first time invertebrates were demonstrated to have anxiety and then they calmed him down with a Valium-like drug we have now on the line an actual crayfish to give his reaction to this experiment yeah so I'm a crawfish crayfish, crawfish I really don't care I'm not even a fish actually I'm a crustacean not that you care you just want to eat me am I right? and that's why I'm anxious you want to eat me oh sure some of you are saying oh no I'm a vegetarian I'm a pescatarian I'm not a crustacearian." Yeah, well, it doesn't matter if you in particular don't eat crayfish. There are so many crayfish out there who know nothing but getting eaten. And that is the point of hashtag yes all crayfish. Why are you anxious? Global warming? Yeah. Well, let me tell you about global warming. Ever hear of a seafood boil or a crawfish bake? They say, a boil, a bake, like it's one thing that is so predator-centric of you. For us, whole communities, thousands and thousands of us, families, crawdaddies, mommies, entire craw community groups, go down your gullet. Hope that relaxes you. It leaves us, yes, anxious. And the only advice we get is to develop a thick skin. I have an exoskeleton. What else do you want? So, yeah, I'm anxious. You know, it all just sticks in my... Ah, I bet you thought I was going to say it sticks in my craw. No, it sticks in my dactylopidite. Yeah, we have our own idioms. But I want to make this point. If a crawfish... Is ever the thing that actually sticks in your craw? That means it's bad luck to eat crawfish for a month. C- can we get this rumor started at least? How do these things take hold? I have no idea. It all makes me very, very anxious. Oh, God. Well, Mike did ask me to provide a segue, so fine. Take it from me, the crayfish, which looks a little like a lobster. In fact, I am related to the lobster, which brings Mike to... The lobster of the anten Twig. And thank you, crawfish. I think we were just getting somewhere with that. He's so anxious. But as you know, or maybe you don't know, every three weeks here on The Gist or the N10 Twig... That would be Old English, which is where we get Fortnite from. Every three weeks, we name our Lopstar. The listener, the commenter, the charming obsessive, who distinguishes himself or herself or cross-self in some way. A good Lopstar might gently notify us of a correction. Like uh, the other day, when I said Fortinbras was a character in Macbeth, not Hamlet. Or when I pronounced it Wiganpier, not Wiganpier. The point is, mistakes are made in some kind. Potential Lopstars bring them to our attention. Or a Lopstar can simply brighten our day. Like Jonathan Norton, who wrote a jingle for us. On your way to work, on your way to a bris, the podcast for your ears is Mike Pesca's The Gist. That was good. Moyles love it. But the actual lopstar of this Anten Twig is Jonathan Baus, who gently informed us that when I said Willard W. Nupied Staphy I should have said Willard S. Nupied Staphy Toricoma. You caught that, Jonathan. You are the lopstar of the Anten Twig. Doesn't matter why I said Nupied, Stafi, Tori, Koma in the first place. Not really. It's sort of like it doesn't... Why are we calling it a lop star? Why the antag twig? It's the words. Who cares? Although, I will say this. You have stumbled on our plan. The Gist is seeking to rewrite the entire language. Do not deny us. Do not be a prescriptivist. Be a Gististivist. And that is it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi, producer of Slate Podcasts, is the granddaughter of Phyllis, and Phyllis is celebrating her birthday today. So happy birthday, Phyllis. Andy Bowers is executive producer of Slate Podcasts. He hails from a long line of Canuck fur trappers. You can subscribe on iTunes and give us a review. It was just there. There are well over 200 reviews. Only 11 are three stars or fewer. So that's awesome. Thank you for those reviews. You could listen to us on uh, Android or iOS device like Stitcher TuneIn or iCloud. We are the Slate Daily Podcast feed. If you want an email from us, go to slate.com slash gist email and sign up, and we'll send you an email every day as soon as the gist posts. We're on facebook.com slash slate gist. And here's your consumer tip of the day. If you order your burrito with half carnitas and half ammo, you get pretty much the same amount as ammo as if you had just asked for extra ammo. Thanks for listening.